Please Be enough. Good. Please sit. That's enough. Come That's on, good. stop it. Big time, yes. Big time. Oh, this is All right. Time, you know. Okay. You know. This is so exciting for Yash and myself to be here this evening for a number of reasons. First, you know, this is the, the first time that Yash and myself have been on the West Coast for one thing in Los Angeles, California. Oh. And I'll tell you... I'll tell you, it's really something. You know, because we're from the East Coast, you have Lutonia, really, you know, in yeah, a little town called Belbic. And there's, uh, you know, such a difference between our hometown and Los Angeles, you know, it's almost funny. Oh, yes, well. <laughs> that, well, no. no yeah, it is. No, know. but it is funny um, almost. Um, not not quite, real funny, no. but almost funny. Not, not what we call a big yuck. No, not the big yuck, no. But enough for some charcoals, maybe. Oh, sure. You know, Always for an example, for let me just say, in Los Angeles, you know, the sun shines all the time, oh. except for some isolated weeks in the winter. But You know, and that's one difference. That's one difference. No. Plutonia, the driving is so different also. Oh, the driving? Yes. You know, not to mention the cops. Oh, no, well, we can't forget... The cops. No, you... Those differences there. How could you forget those? <laughs> no, we can't forget those. No question about it. But anyway, let's segue to this. You know, how many people out here, you know, know the, the, the great point? Anyway, let's segue to this. You know, real funny, no, but almost funny. Not, not what we call a big yuck. No, not the big yuck, no. But enough for some charcoals, maybe. No, sure. You know, Always for an example, for let me just say, in Los Angeles, you know, the sun shines all the time, oh. except for some isolated weeks in the winter. But You know, and that's one difference. That's one difference. No. Plutonia, the driving is so different also. Oh, the driving? Yes. You know, not to mention the cops. Oh, no, well, we can't forget... The cops, no, you... those differences there. How could you forget those? <laughs> no, we can't forget those, no question about it. But anyway, let's segue to this. Deuce, deuce, revival was my problem solver. Had a deaf girl, really didn't want to involve her in the life of a gangster, used to rob banker. But now I'm locked up, I'm just a punk low rankster. Jail cells know me too damn well. Seems like I built on earth my own personal hell. No matter how I climb, somehow I always fell. Guess a lot of players got this story to tell. No matter how cold you roll, you simply cannot win. It's always fun in the beginning, but it's pain. Pain, pain, pain. Ever since I was a minor, but now I'm on the bricks, deep in the mix. Crime smart, searching hard for some new street tricks. I think I'll join a gang, sling a little cane. Put a beeper on my belt and get myself a name. Fresh sneaker, silk shirts, 24-7 work. Nine to five to survive, you gotta be a jerk. I clocked two grand a day. Yes, I was born to play. Who, me, at Mickey 
indies, it wouldn't work no way. I'm a big money haver, but not the last lapper. For me, and for me, makes me no autograph. Custody, my dreams, nightmares of capture, paranoid of surveillance, phobia of cameras. My bank's bigger, but so are my fears. Past records, through players live limited years, but I'm unlike the rest, known to be the best. Fast money, true wealth, my eternal quest. I hustle all night long, there ain't no gaining rest. 12 gauge, close range, blood's on my chest. I looked into his face, I thought he was my friend. My boy had set me up. This one would never mend, no matter who you trust, you simply cannot win. It's always fun in the beginning, but it's pain in the end. Got a gun in my mouth, threw me on the floor, called my girl a whore, put 10 G's out of my mattress and was looking for more. Cracked my safe with an axe, then it out to the map. When they see my money kicking it in 20 G stacks, book me on 10 count with bells a different amount. The charges stuck like glue, some that I couldn't pronounce. They threw my ass the book, my life was surely took. Then they gave my girl 10 years for hanging out with a crook. She played the game herself, fast lane, quick wealth. No respect for the law or the city's health. The sweat of hustlers greed is not reserved for men. It's fun in the beginning, but it's pain in it. Yeah, that ain't nothing. Cause when I get out of here, I'ma get right back in the money. Cause they don't know that I know what time it is, you see. I done learned something. I did half my time, but I learned more when I was in here. And I'ma go right back out and get paid. You understand what I'm saying? Cause I did have my time. Word. I only got nine years left. Yo, Eva, what's up, man? They be bugging. They won't play our records on the radio, man. Say we violent, man. They need to look at the news, you know what I'm saying? Somebody need to kill that noise. And what you doing with that up under your shirt? Oh, man, it's time we put some head out. this ounce of words is just a token is he who has a tongue to tell that must remain unspoken
almost forced to watch children's shows because that is all the time. And there's a very good reason for this. No matter where you turn on the dial, you're always going to find a kiddie show. And that is because the station makes such a killing on the kiddie show. Boys and girls, we're going to go on the air in just a minute. And uh, one thing I have to tell you, be <laughs> during the cartoon, you boys and girls can't talk in the studio because that goes out over the air. See? And we've instructed our announcers, if you boys and girls talk during the cartoon, they're instructed to belt you right in the mouth. <laughs> Okay, boys and girls, we're going to get ready for the show. And there's the announcer man, and he's going to talk in that mic. And now I'll come back and, and talk to you, boys and girls. Hey, thank you. before I get into the mailbag. Um, <laughs> Come on now, boys and girls. Let's settle down now, boys and girls. That isn't nice to laugh at Uncle Freddy like that. You don't laugh at your mommies and daddies. Do you laugh at your mommy? <laughs> Two announcements I have to make, boys and girls. As you know, we usually show the Three Stooges cartoons on Thursday. But uh, as I mentioned last week, they've been holding Uncle Freddy up on price. <laughs> and uh, Uncle Freddy has decided not to buy that show. I have bought a new cartoon show, which isn't quite as expensive. I think you boys and girls will enjoy very much, called the Army Training Films. <laughs> today, boys and girls, is Frostbite, so you want to be sure and watch that. <laughs> oh, 
one other announcement, boys and girls. Today, we're adding the name of a new sponsor to our blacklist. <laughs> we're adding the name of Pops, new breakfast cereal. And of course, all the members, uh, boys and girls in good standing in the Uncle Freddy Club, that of course means you can't have Pops for breakfast in the morning. <laughs> or uh, play with any little boys and girls who do eat Pops. <laughs> comes to us from Arnie Peterson. you boys and girls to please be careful in Bernice's letter because Uncle Freddy can't always make out all your words. <laughs> This, this one says, Dear Uncle Freddy, Parf, Pard? We're, uh, we're going to start printing these from now on, boys and girls, aren't we? <laughs> the part of the show that I enjoy the most is when you talk to Mr. Puppet. Uh, well, we'll be doing that on Friday. And, um, he says, all the little boys and girls in my neighborhood come, come in and watch it on my TV set. We roll on the floor and hold our Mommy, that looks like, uh, told me to sit down and write you this letter. And uh, that, as I said, is from uh, Arnie uh, Peterson, and he's 34. <laughs> What's your name? Brucie. Uh-huh. And, and how old are you, Brucie? You're four. W would you like to see bye, Brucie? <laughs> then don't talk in the studio. There is, uh, there is one little letter I did want to bring up because we've received a number of them like this. Uh, this is from a uh, Freddie Ferno. Freddie Ferno, is that? He's age seven. And... Um, he writes and he says, Dear Uncle Freddy, I sent in for the $27 decoding ring. <laughs> and the three rooms of carpeting. <laughs> and instead I got back some pictures of older girls in sort of bathing suits. slip up in Uncle Freddy's office, uh, boys and girls. That's a little service Uncle Freddy runs for some of the older boys and girls. <laughs> 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 
So if um, you might hang on to them for 10 or 12 years, Freddie, or um, maybe you might uh, want to send them back to Uncle Freddie, and I'll send you back the magic decoder. Don't mail them, Freddie. <laughs> and that'll be the signal for our cartoon. Okay, everybody start marching and wave to your mommies and daddies as you go by the camp. That's the way, boys and girls. Keep waving. That's the way. Let's keep going, son. That's the way. Right out the door and mark fire escape. There you go. <laughs>
Mutiny Radio out of M. This is a flat black plastic Joe. Thanks for listening. Go to the website. You donate money, come down, hear people tell funny stories. Come back.
July 1946, Paris. In the reception room of that palace on the right bank of the river, a hale and hearty journalist heckled for a quarter of an hour a thin man with deep marks of suffering and privation on his face, who had in front of him a small vase of pink roses. Round about were nearly 100 reporters and observers from all countries. Mr. President, you are a communist, aren't you? Yes, the man replied sedately. Have you been in the resistance? Ladies yes. and gentlemen, Angelo Lamenti. About 40 years. Have you been in prison too? It was clear what the journalist was driving at. Yes. What prison? Many, sir. Long? The thin man looked at the hale and hearty journalist with a faint smile and said, in prison, time is always long, you know. The reply given in French was prompt, clear, and unexpected. Was it said as a reproach, as irony, or as humor? What is certain is that at that instant, Frenchmen, Englishmen, and Americans in the room were astonished to notice that the goatee-bearded scholar could smile in Paris or in London as well as in Hanoi. It was the unscrutable smile of a wise man whose vision stretched far beyond today. Have you any further questions, journalist? In prison, time is always long. Ho Chi Minh, prison diary. Arrested at Tukvin Street, Abundance and Glory Street. At Abundance and Glory Street, shame was thrust on me so as to delay my journey. I am an honest man with a clear conscience, but I was accused without ground of being a spy. Entering Sing Si District Prison, Old inmates of the jail welcome new prisoners. In the sky, white clouds are chasing the black ones away. White clouds and black have drifted out of our sight. On earth, free people are huddled into the jail. Hard is the road of life. Having climbed over steep mountains and high peaks, how should I expect on the plains to meet greater danger? In the mountains, I met the tiger and come out unscathed. On the plains, I encountered men and was thrown into prison. I was a representative of Vietnam, on my way to China to meet an important personage. On the quiet road, a sudden storm broke loose and I was thrust into jail as an honored guest. I am a straightforward man with no crime on my conscience, but I was accused of being a spy for China. So life, you see, is never a very smooth business. And now the present bristles with difficulties. Morning. Every morning the sun, emerging over the wall, darts its rays against the gate. Inside the prison, the ward is shrouded in darkness. Outside, the rising sun is shown. Once awake, everyone starts on the hunt for lice. At eight o'clock, the gong sounds for the morning meal. Come on, let's go and eat to our heart's content. For all we have suffered, there must be good times coming. Noon. In the cell. How lovely it is to have a siesta. For hours we're carried away in sound sleep. I dream of riding a dragon up into heaven. 
waking and brought abruptly back into prison. Afternoon. Two o'clock. The cell door opens to let fresh air in. Everyone raises his head for a look at the sky. Free spirits haunting the sky of liberty. Do you know your own kind are languishing in prison? Prison meals. At every meal, only one bowl of red rice, without vegetables, without salt, and even no broth to go with it. Those who get food brought into them can sometimes eat their fill. But without help from outside the jail, we groan with hunger. The Gruel Inn. At the side of the road, in the shade of a big tree, a thatched hut serves as an inn for passing travelers. But there's no wine for the guests of this institution. The menu is just cold rice gruel and white salt.
Plastic is a show you're tuned into in this station that's coming to you from the Mission District in sunny San Francisco's mutinyradio.fm. Please keep a listening.
I don't know how brave you are, but I'm afraid of waiters. Somehow, they always end up telling me what to eat. But once, at least once, was I a hero. The scene is one of those restaurants that isn't responsible for your hat or the service. The waiter is a determined, independent gent who doesn't take orders. And printed right on the menu, next to the blue plate special I'm about to order, is a gentle warning, positively no substitutions. Positively? Well, let's see. Waiter, I think I'd like to have this uh, special dinner here. Yeah, what do you like to have? Uh, let's see now. Uh, it says a dollar and a half uh, tomato juice, vegetable soup, roast beef. Do I have to take that tomato juice? Can I have uh, pineapple juice instead? No, we haven't got it. And that's the bill of fare. It's made up that way by the chef, and I have to I wait. I mean, but have you got some, uh, uh, let's see, any other kind of juice? No, only tomato juice. Only tomato juice. Uh, vegetable soup. You got any uh, consomme or anything like no, that? No, no, vegetable soup, just the way it's on the bill of fare. Vegetable soup, huh? I don't like vegetable soup. Well, I can hurt that if you don't like vegetable soup. You eat the roast beef and pay a dollar and a half just the same. Could I have a, could I change the soup for some uh, fruit salad? See, I got uh, some cost in my beer. Oh, wait, 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 no, wait, just a second. All right, now the roast beef uh, with carrots and peas. Uh, can I change that to string beans? No, carrots and peas, that's the standard. Oh, but carrots and peas, I don't like carrots and peas. Oh, then you eat it without carrots and peas. Well, what other vegetable can I have? Uh, nothing, eat the potatoes, double portion potatoes. Uh, can I have any vegetable? No. Can I have a salad? No, no, no salad. Hmm. Uh, what flavor ice cream you got? Vanilla and chocolate. No strawberry? No strawberry, no. Not today. Well, what other dessert? you have That's any? Oh, van vanilla and chocolate ice cream. Either you take vanilla or you take chocolate or two without it. No, but look, fella. Mister, you're taking my time away. No, 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 wait, just a second. I, I want this dinner, but I can't find anything I like on it yet. Well, I don't like tomato juice. Don't like tomato juice. You don't like no soup, but you like the roast beef. Yeah. But you don't like no carrots and peas. Right. You want ice cream, but you don't like the vanilla ice cream. You don't like the chocolate. If I could have this dollar and a half dinner with tomato juice, I'll even take tomato juice. Yeah. Nice consomme. I got no consomme. All right, all right, all right. Wait, wait. Roast beef with uh, string beans and French fried potatoes, and I'll even take the ice cream. No, 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 not the door. Either you take it to your... Ask the chef, maybe... No, oh, no, I don't go in the chef. The chef's gonna run with the kitchen knife after me. No, 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 no. No, sir. Can't you change it a little bit? No, no, nothing changed. According, that's the standby, and that's all that's doing. I'll work on according to schedule. The what? According to schedule. That's a schedule for me. What do you mean? It's a dinner. That's all right, but for me, Mrs. Kessel, what I've got on here, i got to sell. I can sell nothing else what I haven't got on there. Well, maybe he's got a lot of, p of pineapple well, juice or I something gotta back there. Well, i got to get rid of this stuff first, eh? Well, what, are you trying to get rid of it on me? Well, if you don't take it, somebody else will. I, I have to eat. Yeah, but... You're here to serve me. Yeah, but... I want this dollar and a half dinner, but I want to make a couple of little changes. Ask him about it. 
Could you take the carrots out and only peas? No, the carrots and the peas is together and takes two men to pick the pick the carrots out. Then when I bring the peas, you want the carrots in it. I don't like carrots. I can't stand it. Don't eat them. Just pick out the peas. Take it or leave it.
Estaba bien por un tiempo volviendo a sonreír. Luego anoche te vi, tu mano me tocó y el saludo de Te hablé muy bien y tú, sin saber que he estado llorando por tu amor, llorando por tu amor, luego de tu Sentí todo mi dolor, sola y llorando, 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 no es fácil de que al verte Yo estoy llorando, yo que pensé que te olvidé, pero es verdad, es la verdad, que te quiero aún más, mucho más que ayer, dime tú. No me quieres y siempre estaré llorando por tu amor, llorando por tu amor, tu amor se Quedó llorando, 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 llorando,
Robot Black Plastic is a show you're listening to on Mutiny Radio. I'd like to present the next group, beginning with the pianist, Wenton Kelly. The bassist is Paul Chambers. Drummer is Jimmy Cobb. On tennis saxophone, John Coltrane. On trumpet, Miles Davis.
I've got good news. That gum you like is gonna come back in style. Where we're from, the birds sing a pretty song. And there's always music in the air. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Bruning and Dance of the Dream Man.
The concept behind the sandworms of Dune has attracted swarms of questions and speculations. The answer is that they are the mindless monster from the depths. At the same time, they are the guardians of the priceless treasure. They are both the source of treasure and the source of infinite danger. What is that except the embodiment of all the unknowns which confront questing life, questing awareness? Here is what it says in that definitive compendium, the terminology of the Imperium. Shai Hulud, Sandworm of Arrakis, the Old Man of the Desert, Old Father Eternity, and Grandfather of the Desert. Significantly, this name, when referred to in a certain tone, or written with capital letters, designates the Earth Deity of the Fremen Hearth superstitions. Sandworms grow to enormous size. Specimens longer than 400 meters have been seen in the deep desert, and they live to great age unless slain by one of their fellows or drowned in water, which is poisonous to them. Most of the sand on Arrakis is credited to sandworm action. They are gigantic chemical engines, alive and driven by their own needs, converting the raw stuff of their planet by heat of friction and chemical conversion into the priceless spice melange and into oxygen. Yet they derive from the little maker, the so-called sand trout, which is identified as the creature which sealed off their planet's water, making it into a desert. Here then is the sandworm of Dune as you first see it from a position in the ornithopter piloted by the Duke Leto, accompanied by Gurney Halleck, the young Paul Atreides, and Liet Kynes, the imperial planetologist. Paul stretched up in the seat to peer ahead, saw a rolling yellow cloud low on the desert surface some 30 kilometers ahead. One of your factory crawlers, Kynes said, it's on the surface. That means it's on spice. The cloud is vented sand being expelled after the spice has been centrifugally removed. There's no other cloud quite like it. Aircraft over it, the Duke said. I see two, three, four spotters, Kynes said. They are watching for worm sign. Worm sign, the Duke asked. A sand wave moving toward the crawler. They'll have seismic probes on the surface, too. Worms sometimes travel too deep for the wave to show. Kynes swung his gaze around the sky. Should be a carry-all wing around, but I don't see it. The worm always comes, eh? Halleck asked. Always. Paul leaned forward, touched Kynes' shoulder. How big an area does each worm stake out? Kynes frowned. The child kept asking adult questions. That depends on the size of the worm. What's the variation, the Duke asked. Big ones may control three or 400 square kilometers, small ones. He broke off as the Duke kicked on the jet brakes. The ship bucked as its tail pods whispered into silence. Stub wings elongated, cupped the air. The craft became a full thopter as the Duke banked it, holding the wings to a gentle beat, pointing with his left hand off to the east beyond the factory crawler. Is that worm sign? Where the Duke pointed, crescent dune tracks spread shadow ripples toward the horizon, and running through them as a level line stretching into the distance came an elongated mound in motion, a cresting of sand. It reminded Paul of the way a big fish disturbed the water when swimming just under the surface. Worm, Kynes said, big one. The spice workers, threatened by the worm, are rescued from the factory crawler, which was working on the desert surface. And as the ornithopter takes off, 
Paul, crushed into a corner beside a window, stared down at the silent machine on the sand. The worm sign had broken off about 400 meters from the crawler, and now there appeared to be turbulence in the sand around the factory. The worm is now beneath the crawler, Kynes said. You are about to witness a thing few have seen. Flecks of dust shattered the sand around the crawler now. The big machine began to tip down to the right. A gigantic sand whirlpool began forming there to the right of the crawler. It moved faster and faster. Sand and dust filled the air now for hundreds of meters around. Then they saw it. A wide hole emerged from the sand. Sunlight flashed from glistening white spokes within it. The hole's diameter was at least twice the length of the crawler, Paul estimated. He watched as the machine slid into the opening in a billow of dust and sand. The hole pulled back. Gods, what a monster, muttered a man beside Paul. Then, after treachery has marooned Paul and his mother in the moonlighted darkness of the deep desert, where the giant worms abound, a new sound began to impress itself on them. A muted whisper, a hissing, an abrasive slithering. Worm, Paul said. It grew louder, faster, Paul gasped. The first rock shingle, like a beach slanting from the sand, lay no more than 10 meters ahead of them when they heard metal crunch and shatter behind them. Their ornithopter was gone. Paul shifted his pack to his right arm, holding it by the straps. It slapped his side as he ran. He took his mother's arm with his other hand. They scrambled onto the lifting rock, up a pebble-littered surface through a twisted, wind-carved channel. Breath came dry and gasping in their throats. I can't run any farther, Jessica panted. Paul stopped, pressed her into a gut of rock, turned, and looked down onto the desert. A mound in motion ran parallel to their rock island. Moonlit ripples, sand waves, a cresting burrow almost level with Paul's eyes at a distance of about a kilometer. The flattened dunes of its track curved once, a short loop crossing the patch of desert where they had abandoned their wrecked ornithopter. Where the worm had been, there was no sign of the aircraft. The burrow mound moved outward into the desert, coursed back across its own path, questing. It's bigger than a guild spaceship, Paul whispered. I was told worms grew large in the deep desert, but I didn't realize how big. Nor I, Jessica breathed. Again, the thing turned out away from the rocks, sped now with a curving track toward the horizon. They listened until the sound of its passage was lost in gentle sand stirrings around them. And yet again, as the two fugitives must cross open sand in the night, you get an even closer look at the sandworm. We must walk without rhythm, Paul said, and he called up memory of men walking the sand, both prescient memory and real memory. Watch how I do it, he said. This is how Fremen walk the sand. He stepped out onto the windward face of the dune, following the curve of it, moved with a dragging pace. Jessica studied his progress for 10 steps, followed, imitating him. She saw the sense of it. They must sound like the natural shifting of sand, like the wind. But muscles protested this unnatural, broken pattern. Step, drag, drag, step, step, wait, drag, step. Time stretched out around them. The rock face ahead seemed to grow no nearer. The one behind still towered high. Lump, 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 lump. It was a drumming from the cliff behind them. The thumper, Paul hissed. Its pounding continued, and they found difficulty avoiding the rhythm of it in their stride. 
Lump, 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 lump. They moved in a moonlit bowl, punctured by that hollowed thumping. Down and up through spilling dunes. Step, drag, wait, step. Across pea sand that rolled under their feet. Drag, wait, step. And all the while, their ears searched for a special hissing. The sound, when it came, started so low that their own dragging passage masked it. But it grew louder and louder out of the west. Lump, 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 drummed the thumper. The hissing approach spread across the night behind them. They turned their heads as they walked, saw the mound of the coursing worm. Keep moving, Paul whispered, don't look back. A grating sound of fury exploded from the rock shadows they had left. It was a flailing avalanche of noise. Keep moving, Paul repeated. He saw that they had reached an unmarked point where the two rock faces, the one ahead and the one behind, appeared equally remote. And still behind them, that whipping, frenzied tearing of rocks dominated the night. They moved on and on and on. Muscles reached a stage of mechanical aching that seemed to stretch out indefinitely, but Paul saw that the beckoning escarpment ahead of them had climbed higher. Jessica moved in a void of concentration, aware that the pressure of her will alone kept her walking. Dryness ached in her mouth, but the sounds behind drove away all hope of stopping for a sip from her still suit's catch pockets. Lump, lump. Renewed frenzy erupted from the distant cliff, drowning out the thumper. Silence. Faster. Black Black Plastic is a show you're listening to on Mutiny Radio. 